Welcome to Citizens Midweek, a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. I'm your host, Jacob Kirby, joined this week by pastor and friend Tim Olson. Here we go. Last week, we wrapped up week 14 of our series looking at the book of Ephesians. Um, It was our final week in the series, and um, yeah, Tim kind of preached a sermon for us to kind of wrap up Paul's thoughts, and I mean, I don't know about you, Tim. Maybe you hated it. I don't know. I thought it was a really great series. I thought it was a great series. (laughs) Also, I didn't kind of preach the sermon. I preached the sermon. Did I say kind of? You said I kind of preached it. I kind of preached it. sort of preached it. I I crushed it. Depending on your school of thought, some might consider what happened yesterday a sermon. Mm, True. I wouldn't know. I wasn't there. I was out this week. <laughs> Tim did the the most preaching that anybody's ever preached wow, yesterday. Now we're just taking this conversation week too 14. far. Well, it's got to be conversational commuter podcast. This is so a conversational got, commuter podcast for your commutes. We've got to keep it easy, breezy, beautiful. Jacob, what did we talk about yesterday? Yeah, in this we sermon. wrapped up Ephesians yesterday looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and... In classic Tim fashion, the the main points all start with the same letter, which I think is a lecture that he must have gotten when he was in seminary. It's the very first class of preaching. It was just yeah, like, right. hey, if you want your sermon to be good, right. yeah. alliterations. Before you get ordained as anything ever, you have to come up with sermons that have alliteration. Um, so this week, we basically wrapped up Paul's concluding thoughts on you know what it means for us to follow Jesus and all the ways we've been talking about for the last few months. And Tim kind of wrapped it up, identifying four... Um, four W's for us to recognize as we, you know, live our lives as Christians. And those four W's were the war, the weapons, the way, and the winner. I'm sure in your car wow. just then you wow. gave an audible ooh. Wow. I got that and in the wow. sanctuary. You weren't there, but it was legitimately wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it was I was great. <laughs> is what you say. It was really amazing. <laughs> I couldn't hear the applause on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it, they were there. Next time. It's the room. It's the I mean, room. I heard the applause for the Happy Father's Day, but it just it must have been a mic thing. We yeah, didn't it, hear. yeah, it was a mic thing. Yeah, yeah it jumped. Yeah. It jumped for a few seconds. <laughs> um, but the idea of kind of these four W's is recognizing um, for us that, you know, as Christians, as people following Jesus, we're not just primarily fighting against ourselves or fighting against the world around us. We're actually fighting a spiritual battle. So the war for us is against spiritual realities and you talked about the imminent frame the idea that we're kind of disenchanted as modern westerners to the spiritual realm we tend to be desensitized to spiritual things um, but as christians that just shouldn't be the posture we have that we should recognize and understand and know that everything that we're doing to follow jesus is primarily a spiritual reality a spiritual battle and that being said the second w was the weapon if we're fighting this spiritual battle god has given us weapons he's given us specifically in this passage the armor of god to help us fight the spiritual battle that we have. I would love to try and remember all of them off the top of my head, but I won't. Um, breastplate of righteousness, sword of truth. Belt of truth. Oh, belt of truth. Yeah, shoes with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Yeah. Uh, the sword of the spirit. What's the, the underwear? Helmet of salvation. It's just the belt of truth. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. But yeah, we've been given the the full armor of God in Ephesians to fight this spiritual battle. Um, the way that we fight this battle, the way that we utilize these tools, Paul says specifically that we do so by praying earnestly, praying consistently, always praying. Um, and then ultimately recognizing that the winner of these battles, it's not us. We're not fighting a battle that we win, but we fight a battle that has been won in Jesus and the gospel. So we can fight with the full competence and knowledge that Christ is already winning and has won and will win the final battle. 
Um, so as we're working out being Christians in all the ways that we've talked about from Ephesians, we do so in the knowledge of the fact that all of the things we're doing are fighting a spiritual battle with God's help that Christ has already won. So that was kind of the main idea from the sermon. Um, I think the part that stuck out with me, and I did indeed listen to the podcast today because today's Monday, if you didn't know. Um, the part that I really appreciated, um, was talking about the armor of God specifically, just talking about if we want to know if, if, if truth is one of our weapons, then we better know what the truth is. And the way that we know what the truth is, is to know what the Bible says. And I thought that was really impactful. Um, just kind of reminding, it's a reminder for me and it has been for a really long time. Something I always have to bring myself back to is that we're not just as, as believers trying to ascertain this like philosophical nebulous truth that's like culturally agreed upon and so, like it's not some common experience like but truth is actually given to us and defined for us god ultimately gets to dictate who he is and what he's like and what he desires and what he decides is good and beautiful so for me it's always a reminder of we we find out what's true about god through what he has said about himself in the bible and if we're going to fight these spiritual battles well, then we need the truth as it's given to us. Well, and it's interesting too. This is not the main thing of the, the podcast, but one of the things I wrestled with really all the way until Sunday at like noon was whether or not to make the sword of the spirit one of the weapons or part of the way. So commentators are kind of back and forth on it of because it is the only attacking weapon that's listed in the armor. Uh, a lot of people will say that prayer is actually kind of this last weapon. Paul doesn't necessarily um, allegorize it with like a part of the armor, but a lot of people will kind of split it there and they'll say, okay, you have all these defensive things. Uh, you have the truth, you have peace, you have faith, you have your salvation, all of these. And then there's kind of a shift that a lot of commentators argue for where the word and prayer, these kind of two like benchmarks of the Christian faith are the attacking and how you put on the armor of God. And so I think it's interesting, even with what you're saying is like uh, a lot of these, you can't separate out from the word, right? So it's not like, all right, you have the sword of the spirit. That's the word of God. And then you have like the truth stuff and the face that like even that truth, faith, peace, the God, you know, all these things are rooted themselves in scripture and prayer. And so I think even thinking about like, you know, for sermoneering purposes, it's like the way emphasizing was on prayer and, and praying at all times in the spirit, all of that. But also thinking about like the word is a big part of this armor of God as well. You could almost argue that both are a part of the way, how we put on the armor of God, how we stand firm, how we go after uh, the kingdom of, of the devil in light of the kingdom of God, all of that. Well, that was what stood out to me. What stood out to you, Tim, while you were kind of preparing the sermon, anything in particular that you know you thought stood out? So this is what I've been chewing on a lot. But I think one of the big things, and I introed with this on Sunday, but I really, in, in studying and kind of... So before we get into sermons, we do what we call POA, a plan of attack, where we kind of outline, all right, we're going through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to take 14 weeks or however many, 15, 13, we look at the book and we try to say, how many weeks do we need to walk through this content faithfully? You know, the original authors, it was a letter from Paul to a church, right? He didn't break it down into these sections we have in our English New Testaments. But the sections are helpful. And so we're always asking the question, okay, how do we uh, break this down? How do we talk about it? And from the very beginning of outlining this series back in the fall, I was really wrestling with why does Paul end with this? Like this book is so um, 
on the ground is the wrong word because it's not, but it's so rich. Like there's just so much of like gospel identity and lived reality with Christ and our union to Jesus and our adoption as sons and our peace with one another. And then he gets it into the implications in a very practical way, right? So there's a lot of richness and there's a lot of practical. That's um, kind of what you mean by on the ground, huh? Yeah, he gets yeah. it on the ground. He's like, hey, this is how it applies to your marriage. This is how it applies to your job. This is how it applies to your parenting. This is how it applies to um, using your gifts in the church. Like all these really grabbable things. And then he ends with kind of like, oh, by the way, uh, here's a really strange allegory and analyzation of the armor of God that has to do with fighting your enemy, the devil. And it's like, what? What? Like, what is this shift and what is happening? But really thinking about it and, and thinking through, really for me, just how the Lord has used studying and, and preaching through Ephesians for my own heart to really push the good news of the gospel down deep into my soul. So I remember all the way back in week one, sharing with my community community group guys about how prepping for Ephesians 1, the very first sermon in the series, the Lord just did a work in my heart to remind me of the gospel, my adoption as a child of Him, like just all of these rich gospel truths and how that even in and of itself is a part of spiritual warfare. Like there's right, an enemy, right. uh, the principalities, the powers, the devil who wants to keep me from living out of my adoption to Jesus, or adoption to God through Jesus. And so even been thinking about that like oh this makes so much sense like all of these things that the gospel um brings to us and then calls us to in response are all part of war like me loving my wife is not just me deciding whether i want to be apathetic that day right. or not or give forth energy like it's a spiritual war me deciding if i want to get up and go to work and honor god with my labors is a part of me going to war me deciding to show up to community group and confess my sin is me going to war and so just just helpful to frame up like hey all the good rich gospel truth and implications that we've looked at have a war behind them that impact your Christian life. It's not neutral. It's not you just deciding yes or no. It's a war, which means it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard to want to show up. It's going to be hard to want to put forth effort in your sanctification. It's going to be hard to want to let the Spirit work on you. And so recognizing like this is a battle. We're in a battle. Um, we're not neutral. We're not chilling. Like it's a, it's a fight. Right. And I was even thinking while I was listening to the sermon... Um, I was listening to it in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, which takes forever. The one by our house oh, so slow. I was, anyways, I, that's when I was listening to your sermon, Tim, waiting <laughs> you get on the whole, th- the whole thing before you even get through on, that line. Like 80% of it, literally. Um, but I was just sitting there thinking about like, it, if, if the base reality is that it is a war, if the base reality is that it is a fight, the option is not, um, it not being a fight or it being a fight because it is a fight. The option is you're fighting it or you're losing it. <laughs> like those are the, t- so non-Christians are, it's not that non-Christians are not participating in the battle. It's that they're succumbing to it. They've lost to it. Right. Well, that's Paul says, Paul says stand. Right. 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 So by definition, you have something you have to stand against. Right. Like if you don't stand, you're going to drift. Right. Like think about like that ocean metaphor, yeah, right. Of, like yeah. the current, it's going to take you either you're swimming against it. You're staying or you're, you're or you've lost to it. Correct. Yeah, that's right. What are we going to dive deep on today, Tim? Yeah, so Lindsay makes fun of me, but about every six months... Just in general? Just or, as a whole yeah, yeah. Uh, in our marriage. Uh, about every six months, I, I go through like seasons in my life. And uh, sometimes that's with hobbies. Sometimes that's with interests. Uh, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, yeah. but I have what, what's been called like a temporary addictive personality <laughs> where I really get on something. And that is also true. Uh, the Lord just really seems in my growth and walk with Jesus. It seems like the, the pattern the Lord takes me on is that every three to six months, I just really get 
into a particular part of uh, my Christian growth, theology, something like that. And a few years ago, I was introduced to an author, a theologian by the, by the name of James K.A. Smith, which I know that we've talked about. Uh, he's written a ton on liturgy. Yeah, he came liturgy. to the Sojourn Conference a few years ago. Yeah, he came to Sojourn, uh, yeah, the Sojourn Network Conference a few years ago, and he's written a lot on liturgy and thought and imagination. And I read... Uh, he has kind of his like succinct, easy-to-grab book called You Are What You Love, which is really, really good. But he then kind of broke it out into like th- a threefold set collection uh, called his Cultural Liturgy series. And it's three books. It's Desiring the Kingdom, Imagining the Kingdom, and Awaiting the King. And I read these uh, about 2017, fall 2017. And the Lord just did a work on me. So to understand where I was coming from and my background, I was coming out of three years of a very deep, rich, beautiful confessional seminary that really emphasized, rightly, in what you want from theological education, the Word of God. Right? It was very Word-centric. It was very... um, this is the word. Let's study the word. Let's get into the Greek and the Hebrew. And let's, you know, really, uh, my relationship with God became very intellectual and became almost an intellectual exercise. And then I got out of that and moved into to full-time church ministry and was just introduced to James K. Smith. And James K. Smith, in those books in particular, wrestles a lot with Charles Taylor, who we talked about in the sermon, whose ideas of the imminent frame and secularism and uh, modern culture and how we think about or rather don't think about spiritual realities. And one of the things that... Um, one of the quotes from Charles Taylor that James K. Smith in his books, uh, Desiring, Anticipating, and Awaiting, talks about is this quote where Charles Taylor says, an age or society would then be secular or not in virtue of the conditions of experience of and search for the spiritual. In other words, Charles Taylor says in the 1970s, you can decide whether a culture is secular or not by whether or not they experience and search for the spiritual or don't experience and search for the spiritual. So he says, if it's secular, they're not going to experience or search for it. If it's not secular, they're going to be searching for it. Even if that spiritual reality is not Christian, right? And so he says, basically, you want to know if your culture is secular, do you have an experience or search for the spiritual? And so James K. Smith picks up on this and he talks about how, you know, in light of our culture and the imminent frame and our just desire in the West to push back against anything mythical or spiritual or other besides the tangible lived reality, he says, hey, part of the the baseline Christian discipleship is to re-engage and renew our imaginations. So he says, when you think about discipleship, you can't just think about head knowledge. You can't just think about uh, teaching on a head level. You can't just think about uh, how do you get some truths into people, but how do you actually awaken the imaginations of the church to be able to imagine the kingdom of God, anticipate the kingdom of God, and then desire the kingdom of God. And he says, there's a lot of ways we do this through our liturgies, through our worship, through our preaching, through the word, all of that. Um, But he says this kind of dynamite question. He says, James K. Smith says this in his book, Desiring the Kingdom. He says, what if the primary work of education, which is discipleship to him, was the transforming of our imagination rather than the saturation of our intellect? What if we actually helped followers of Jesus imagine a life with God? Imagine a life where you're in a war of the spiritual. Imagine a life where you're actually walking with following Jesus. Because what happens is if we cut out the spiritual and we only have a life that is natural and academic and intellectual and the grounded stuff of earth, we don't have an ability to imagine what God is actually going to do and wants to do in our lives and in the world. We don't have eyes to see what it is that God might actually do in his kingdom. 
And so to me, that was just like a, a life shot to me in my discipleship to Jesus that I had been coming from such an intellectually based background and thought and all of that, which was good and so helpful for getting some theological depth and rootedness to my walk with Jesus. But then having this whole other side of, oh, there's a spiritual battle going on. There's a, a war over my imagination and my mind and my ability to perceive and to see what it is God is doing in tangible power and presence. And so to me, this this whole idea of like Paul in Colossians 4 and 3 in Ephesians 6, all throughout the scriptures. And then even looking at the teachings of Jesus, right? Jesus who gets tempted by the devil. Like Jesus is not absent from spiritual things right, in right. his humanity. And just how much it's this theme throughout the New Testament of there's a war going on. This world is not all that there is. It's not all that's what's right in front of you, but there's actually a depth to, okay, how do we learn to re-engage our imaginations to actually believe the spiritual, to actually have faith in what God is doing. Well, and to be able to engage our imaginations in that way is really, I think sometimes imagination connotes like make-believe a little bit. Yeah. But when we engage our imaginations in that way, we're actually helping ourselves to perceive the actual reality, mm-hmm. which yep. is that because we are the reality that we're fighting, this is what Paul says, is the unseen. It's not, it's not, it's not, you know, governments and rulers, it's, it's spiritual powers and prince, you know, so we are. We have to imagine what is really there because of what what is really there that we're dealing with is unseen. You know, yeah. it's spiritual realities. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I was I was even thinking this when I was listening to it in the sermon, and you kind of made me think of it even more. Is that I wonder sometimes if it's necessarily the most precise thing to say that we live in a secularizing culture. Hmm. It feels like, and you know, we're certainly in the baby stage of this of this sociologically, but it feels like maybe in terms of like our generation. I think our generation, I just see it like we're moving back towards certainly not Christianized spirituality, yeah. but like there is a growing th- obsession and a growing awareness of spiritual spirituality Yeah, that I just think like maybe secularized is not the most precise thing anymore. Now, certainly people that are spiritual in these ways, like when it comes to some of kind of the new age, like, I don't know, mysticism and and you know crystals and tarot and like the rise in witchcraft if you don't know look it up it's actually it's like a quickly growing subculture yeah but like we we are spiritual now they perceive themselves as non-religious but it's still a spirituality you know what i mean i don't know yeah i mean so mark sayers who's kind of like the guru in a lot of this cultural anthropology and thought for for christians right now he talks about how he he actually argues in his book reappearing church that we're in a post secular right. society isn't that where crazy uh, in response to all of this kind of killing of anything spiritual, right. there's been this new awakening of people are kind of going, Rediscovering. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like surely this, this just reason and science and all of that at some point, this, you know, uh, this God-shaped hole within right. our hearts reawakens and people go searching somewhere for surely right. what is right in front of me is not all there is. And we're discovering them culturally in really old bad ideas. Yeah. <laughs> like we're rediscovering these really old heresies or really old, I mean, even just outright paganism. Like it's, I sent something to my roommate a couple of days ago. I found like this Instagram page on my explore page and then like, just openly like, oh, I'm a witch. Let me show you what I do. Yeah. And she's like a normal looking woman living her life in middle, middle Midwest America. But like there's a growing influencer genre of like millennial and Gen Z witches. Yeah. And it's like, wow, this is not new, but it feels new. It feels like it's got this new shine to it. 
Well, so the, the is, irony of new age is not actually new. Right, right. right. None of it's new. Um, but you think about... So, I mean, even think about the Old Testament, right? Yeah. Think about the story. Uh, one of the most famous kind of witchcraft stories sure. of the Old Testament is the story of King Saul. Sure. Right? And what happens to King Saul? Right? King Saul disobeys God. He rebels against God's commands. God uh, takes the anointing of kingship away from him, gives it to David, right? The presence of God and the power of God have left Saul. And so what does Saul do? He seeks him out. He seeks something yeah. else, right? He goes, okay, the power and presence of God has left so me. There's find no the awareness power. of God in my life. God's prophet has left me, right? Samuel's gone away. And so he's like, what does he do? He goes after these other supernatural means, these other things where he tries to go, this is missing in my life. I know there's something beyond me and God has left him. And so he goes after these other... And it's, there's nothing new under the sun. That was thousands and thousands of years ago. People were going, okay, it feels like the presence and power of God is not here, but I have this deep longing within me for something that is not just of this world. And so I'm just going to go look wherever it seems convenient. Right. And I think that really, like again, it just really ties into the sermon because I think the the non-Christian culture that we live in would think that they're rediscovering like it's almost like we only equate spirituality to Christianity a little bit. Mm. So we're not Christian. We don't do that kind of stuff, but that doesn't mean that you're devoid from doing something spiritual, right? Like the things that people are pursuing are still very spiritual in nature. They're certainly not the spirit of God, (laughs) but they're very spiritual. And to say that we have elevated our culture beyond the spiritual, is just a little naive. I mean, it's not, that's not reality at all. For so long, we were unwilling to admit the bodily nature of things, right? We didn't want to talk about chemical imbalances. We didn't want to talk about depression as a category. We didn't want to talk about our physical health affecting things. That we then finally, like the church was like, oh yeah, the chemical imbalances are a part of depression. That we've swung so far the other way that we forget to recognize like also there are spiritual forces of evil. Right. And so we like now, you know, we sit down with people and who are struggling with anxiety or depression and we ask really good, helpful questions that we should ask. How's your diet? How's your exercise? How's your sleep? How's your, you know, stress load? Those kind of things. We also forget to ask the question, hey, is there unconfessed or unrepentant sin in your life? Hey, is there areas of your life that you are giving the devil a foothold, unresolved bitterness, conflict? Like, are we going to look at the Bible here and let's talk about some of those things too? Um, and so I think it's we've got to have a category for both and in the Christian life. And that's why I love James K. Smith. If I can kind of bring it back even to that is one of the things Today's he argues... Today's podcast is sponsored by James K. Smith. Sponsored by Jamie Smith. But he, he just argues for like embodiment as a Christian. And what that means is that we're body... And we're soul and spirit, right? And we got to have both. We got to have a category for the Christian life is not just in our minds. It's in our bodies and it's in our hearts. And it's got to be both. We've got to reject the idea that we're just material or just spiritual. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Or we're just intellectual, which is the, the, you know, quasi-reformed sin. Yeah. And I'm even thinking like the greatest command is to trust in the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, which is all of those things, isn't it? It's the intellectual, it's the spiritual, it's the material parts of us. And it's, you know, we can't just live in this binary where culture pushes us to a materialistic worldview. We're now starting to see the early stages of cultural culture shifting us towards a spiritual worldview that's not Christian. But we have to see that Christians are actually totally other than both of those things because our God is embodied and he is spirit and he's material and he's immaterial. And our fight is against, you know, spirit and our own flesh, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, even look at the life of Jesus, right? Jesus took on flesh. You can't say that the body doesn't matter. We will be resurrected in new bodies. Like when we die, we're not becoming floating spirits. Like this, we're just not. The Bible is very clear on that. You will have a resurrected body in heaven with Jesus. Our bodies matter. The, the physical stuff of the world matters. And also salvation is not just a physical reality. It's also yeah. a spiritual reality. Right. You got to be able to live in the tension of both. And so of course we have physical enemies and we have spiritual enemies. Yeah. Uh, Paul says, you know, our struggle is not solely against flesh and blood. And this is somebody who was had a tons of rulers of the world against him, tons of governments against him, tons of people trying to take him down, religious leaders, uh, Roman government officials, all this kind of stuff. And even in the midst of that, all of these earthly powers going after him, Paul still says, my ultimate struggle is not against flesh and blood. My ultimate struggle is not against the Roman government. My ultimate struggle is not against my own body. My own, my own struggle is not against the church. It's not against these religious leaders. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Yeah. It's against the rulers. It's right. against the powers. It's against the, the devil who schemes after the people and purposes and plans of God. Anything else you want us to talk about, Tim? No, I, I genuinely hope Ephesians has been helpful uh, for our church family. I know it's been super helpful for me. I think it's been helpful for people that I've talked to uh, just to root ourselves in the gospel. Uh, really excited to dive into work. I know Cole did a big intro for it last week, so I won't say much. Um, but yeah, excited to jump in. I think it's going to be really helpful as we think about um, and even apply this reality, the spiritual realities, even as we think about our work and a theology of work and how we approach um, the 40 to 50 to 60 hours of week, whatever that may be. We're not just going to talk about our jobs. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about chores and manual labor and all of the things that God has given us as followers of him to have dominion and responsibility and cultivation of. Well, thanks for joining us today, Tim. That is all the time we have for. We will see you next time.